You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Sometimes it takes the end in sight to know why do we put up with all the difficulties and all the challenges and all the sacrifice uh, as parents, especially you moms. Uh, maybe this week, uh, how many of you saw Kevin Durant accept the award for NBA's Most Valuable Player? Did you see that at all? The clip so awesome. Uh, we didn't have rights to be able to share it with you today, uh, but we do get rights to link it off our website. So we will, if you go look at the sermon this week on the website, we'll link it right off uh, there so you can see it. But Kevin just humbly accepting this award and just thanking his family, thanking his friends, and he gets to start thanking his mom. And he just, just with passion saying, like, you went without food, and you went hungry so we could have food. And he just goes on and on about all the sacrifices his mom had made. And at one point, he just says, you know what? I remember the time we got to an apartment. And one of his favorite memories was huddling with his brothers and sisters and his mom in the middle of this apartment. He said, we had no bed. We had no couch. We had no you know, furniture at all. But we just huddled. He goes, it was one of my favorite memories because it felt like we had finally made it. And at the end, he says, mom, you're the MVP. It's a full-on tearjerker, and if you're not a crier, you will cry. It's that good. Uh, but just so awesome when you see, when we take as, as the view as parents that the end in sight, like what are we trying to train? What are we trying to do at this point? It's worth all those things along the way. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the mom, the adoptive mom, the aspiring mom, uh, anybody who's around you. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you're the MVP. Go ahead and do that right now. Let's take a moment, uh, as you take out your Bibles, we're going to open to Matthew chapter 5, but let's take a moment and pray as you're, you're doing that as well. Jesus, we are so grateful that you as God uh, created motherhood, you created fatherhood, and God, you uh, have given that unique calling as one of the first commands when you told Adam and Eve to multiply and fill the earth. And God, it's a heavy challenge uh, to raise children. And God, I know on a day like today, there are people coming in here who are missing their moms. And I know today that there are people who are here, um, they're missing that child that they wanted so desperately to be a mom too. And um, God, we know that sometimes our decisions we made on a day like today, we're reminded of just some of our hurts, our habits, our hangups that made us make decisions that, that checked out a little early. And so God, I just come before you right now, we know that you want to meet with us here, that whatever we walked in with, those presuppositions, those feelings uh, that we walked in this room with today, God, we just submit those to you because we know that you, a kind, a caring, compassionate God, you want to meet us right where we are. You want to encounter us here today. So Jesus, I pray for your spirit to be with us. I ask you to uh, speak through this uh, sermon today, God. I just step aside and let you do your thing. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would just meet us as we encounter you in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we've been in this series uh, called Life's Healing Choices. And we asked, well, why are we in a series called Life's Healing Choices? And we've walked through a couple of weeks so far of different choices. The first week was the reality choice, this whole idea that I am not God. Uh, it's from Matthew 5, 3. We memorize this verse, and it'll be on the screen if you want to see it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we realize I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. 
And then last week, we looked at the hope choice. And the hope choice comes from the second beatitude, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we realize that the phrase that we're looking at is, I earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has a power to help me actually change. And then we've uh, opened to Matthew 5, 5. And as you're looking there, we'll look at it in just a minute. You might want to ask, well, why are we in a series called Life's Healing Choices? Because if we're going to be honest with each other, we basically are a pretty messed up people. If you've gone through some pain, if I've gone through some pain, we together are pretty messed up. How many of you would just admit, you would just honestly admit that uh, the person you're sitting next to is pretty messed up? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, honestly, right? <laughs> We got a lot of people in here who are messed up. And uh, if we're honest about ourselves, we would relate on our hurt level, right? Your hurts, my hurts, so we would understand we have hurts, habits, and hangups, and that we are a, uh, a messed up people, and uh, we would relate to that. And so, um, you know, if you've been wounded, if you've experienced pain in your life, if you've ex experienced significant pain and hurt in your life, you've been wounded, why don't you put your hand in the air, right? That's us. Look around. You're in a safe place. Uh, all of us here have experienced some degree of pain in our life and our background and so you're in the right place you're in the right church and uh, we want to understand that you are loved uh, you're broken but you are loved and I got to let you realize that just knowing those two things the first two steps we looked at that were broken and that were loved that that doesn't really change things that's just knowledge there's a lot of things that you and I know that don't actually make any difference right there's information we know that unless we put application to it, it never leads to transformation. So there's a lot of things that you and I know that are not enough. They don't change your lives. For example, I know that if I can't find something at Walmart, it doesn't exist. <laughs> so that's just, the, I know that, but it doesn't really, that knowledge doesn't really change my life. It doesn't really change us. I mean, Satan knew he was not God, but he tried, and look where that got him, right? Knowing isn't enough. You need some application, information, plus application equals transformation. And so the third of life's healing choices that we're looking at today is essential because it's a commitment choice. That's why we call it the commitment choice. This commitment choice is a place where you and I take knowledge that I'm broken and that I'm loved, and we say, okay, but what are we going to do with that knowledge? What are we going to do with that information? And so I want to just have us think about this idea for a minute that the commitment choice is to consciously choose to commit all of my life and my will to Christ's care and control. And I want to chew on this and kind of savor that idea uh, for a minute. But before we chew on it, I want to kind of set the table as we look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5. If you look at Matthew 5, 5, why don't you read this aloud with me? This will be our verse to memorize for the week. And it's this, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, we hear that and go, well, what's the big deal? But Jesus' audience, remember, he's gathering these people together and he's saying, I'm going to tell you eight things, eight ways, eight attitudes, we call them the be attitudes, but eight attitudes to be and if you adapt these attitudes, you're going to experience some contentment, some happiness in your life versus trying to just manage your life the way the world teaches you and I to manage it. And so he says this, he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But Jesus's audience, got to realize there's a big crowd gathered, Jesus's audience, when he preaches, they were a very prideful people. They would say, in our core identity, we're supposed to be the chosen people of God. Now, what God chose the people of God to be is that through the Jewish people, 
Jesus, God himself, would become flesh. And he would give his life so that people could have eternal life. And through the heritage, through the race, through the line of the Jewish people, all nations would be blessed. Everyone would have opportunity to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's why they were God's chosen people. But they said, "Mm, we want to be God's chosen people because we're elite. We're the best. We're the most powerful. We're the most important. We got God on our side, and we got all these things to show you in our heritage where God acted on behalf of the Jewish people, but they were in a situation right now where they felt powerless. So Jesus comes along, and they're hoping that Jesus will be the Messiah to kick out the Romans And Jesus comes along and says, let me teach my first big sermon in front of everybody. And he says, there's eight attitudes you ought to be in. The third one is that you ought to be meek, for they'll inherit the earth. And you got to realize that that's not what the Jewish people were hoping for. That is not one that they would hear. It's kind of crazy for them to hear, blessed, think about it for a minute, blessed are the meek. Sounds kind of awful, doesn't it? Blessed are the meek. Why? They get like kudos for not being prideful or something? You know what I mean? He says they'll inherit the earth. They're going, the Romans aren't meek. And Rome is the greatest culture in all the earth right now. They are powerful. They are prideful. And so it was crazy for them to hear, blessed are the meek, that you get a fulfilling in your life if you're meek. They didn't want meekness. They wanted a powerful Messiah. They wanted cage-fighting Jesus. I mean, they wanted this guy who could come in and, like, kick out the Romans, and they wanted to have a Messiah come and bring a physical revolution that they could see with their eyes and experience in their life. And Jesus didn't come to bring a physical revolution. He came to bring a spiritual revolution, one that would last when the physical has passed away. See, they figured, the Jewish people figured, that the greatest causes in the world are fought by the proud, by the powerful people. And you can't conquer a Rome by meekness. And so they would hear Jesus say, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, you got to realize in those days, they didn't have speakers and sound systems. And so when a large crowd would gather, you got to know that there were some people there who were like, wait, wait, tell me, what? Did, did I just hear what I thought? Did he say meek? Like looking at each other like, well, is that what we just heard? Did he say blessed are they with meek? They didn't understand it. What is he talking about that the meek will inherit the earth? See, sometimes you and I, we don't understand that. It's not just those people back then, it's us. The meek are going to inherit the earth? Come on. You don't understand it. Maybe you do understand it, but you're like, okay, I understand it, but I don't want that. I don't want to be meek. I don't want to humble myself. I want to defend myself. I want to be proud. I want to be strong. I want to be powerful. I want to be determined. Women who work in the marketplace, ladies, let me just ask you. When you go work in the marketplace, you didn't go there to be meek, right? You're not going to raise and, you know, walk up the corporate ladder by being meek. You go there to swim with the sharks, am I right? You got to go out there in the marketplace. You got to be strong. You got to work hard. You got to be recognized for your abilities. Meekness feels mousy. It feels weak. We don't like meekness. Men, when you think back to when you and I, we were growing up playing sports, and you went out there on the field, and maybe you're playing peewee football, and you can just imagine the coach being like, son, go get in the game. I want you to go get that quarterback, and when you get him, I want you to nurture him like a little dove. <laughs> no, no coach is ever going to say that, right? We, we just don't like this idea of meekness. It doesn't feel right. It rubs us the wrong way. 
But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, meekness isn't an option. It's not optional. In the original language of the Bible, the word for meek is the word prouse. And on the surface, it can mean mild or humble. But there's a deeper meaning, and I want you to understand it. Because on the surface, it sounds like Christian stereotypes, right? It sounds like the stereotype of a Christian person, right? Like the person's like gentle, that they're mild and humble, they're kind of weak, that they're spineless, that maybe they don't have any real convictions, that they're kind of wimpy, that they say praise the Lord a lot, right? But I want you to realize that's a stereotype, and as far as stereotypes go, that's a weak sauce stereotype. That's just not a great, you know, it's not like the fire sauce, it's like the weak sauce stereotype. It's not reality because there's a deeper meaning to the word prowse, the word meek, in the scripture, and it's, it's what Jesus was communicating here, and it's what I want you to get. The word that Jesus used here was used to describe animals. When they take this wild animal, and it would be broken and trained by a trainer. And so it would take all this power of the animal, and it would be trained, but why would an animal be trained by a trainer? It would be trained so that it could become useful. Picture with me for a minute just like a wild stallion. You know, here's this big animal. It can run like the wind. It can bite. It can jump. It can kick. That is a powerful, huge animal. If you've ever sat, really, by the way, if you've ever sat on a horse and you think horses are supposed to be like these nice little gentle, docile animals, but you sit on it and you feel it breathe for the first time and your legs go, and you realize just how big this thing is because it inhaled and your legs are just like, whoa. You realize this thing is powerful. That I'm actually sitting up pretty high on this animal, and it could be, it could be you know, an incredible animal if it was wild, but it's been tamed. But when you take all that power, when you take all that wildness, and you begin to tame it and channel it, it's not a picture of weakness. A, a tamed animal takes all that power, and it begins to be used so it can be useful, channeled, used in the right way. James talks about it in his book. Jesus talks about that a lot in Scripture. What he does, he takes our wildness and he begins to make us useful. Will you watch this video? Growing up, I, I felt big calling in my life to serve the Lord. And I, I studied very hard to be a, a teacher of the Bible and a missionary. And I was teaching Bible studies from the time I was about 13, 14 years old. And I always felt like my life would be going into full-time ministry. In fact, when I uh, graduated high school, um, the following Monday, I started full-time in ministry at a local church here. I ended up becoming a, a youth pastor to a junior high group at that church. And we were doing probably three, four Bible studies a week at that time. And as I was doing it, I felt the Lord uh, blessing me and, and, and working, but I also felt this urging from Him that there was something else for me. About a year and a half, two years into it, um, I think eight, eight days before my 20th birthday, um, I felt that the, the Lord had fully called me out of ministry. It was sort of like I was throwing away everything I ever thought I was gonna do. And um, I felt like I was going to be disappointing a lot of people in my life. And I, I think I did, actually. I think I did disappoint a lot of people in my life. But I felt the Lord's call in my life to, to leave ministry, not to go in full time, but, but to go work. I felt like I had to sort of commit to what God was asking of me. And so I ended up leaving the full-time ministry, and, and I felt that God had something else for me in serving Him in, in a regular work environment, in a regular school and life environment. 
going forward, I had to choose that God's plan for my life was going to be my plan. It wasn't going to be what I thought was normal. And my plan has not been anything normal. So after I left ministry, I basically went in and pursued my school. And I, I thought, I need, to, I need to go to college. I need to have a skill set that could apply to this life that, that God has for me. And so from there, I started having my career. I, I went into real estate. I, I got a job in title and escrow, um, got my first suit and tie, and, uh, and started working really hard and realizing all the things I don't know. And then, uh, so I did that for about a year and a half, and then a, a very good friend of mine gave me a call uh, one day saying, hey, um, the, the publisher of uh, an alternative newspaper called uh, SNR uh, wants to meet you. And I thought, why? <laughs> why does he want to meet me? And what he told me was really interesting. He said, he wants to work with Christian churches to reach out to his audience, and he wants you and me to help him do it. And I thought, wow, Lord, what do you have for me now? Uh, and so I took the meeting, and I was blown away by what I heard. So I started working for the paper and working with a bunch of Christian churches. At the time, we had other people working on sort of free spirit churches and universal stuff. But my, my role, I chose to, to outline all the Christian churches I wanted to work with. And they started running ads, and people were seeing new people that were outsiders show up to church. And every week was like this huge blessing for me to see what God could do through this little newspaper advertisement. I spent about a year or so doing that work, and then I was called uh, to go work in professional sports for a number of years, and um, I got an opportunity to go back to the paper in 2011. Now, when I went back to the paper, I went back as, um, as essentially the director or VP of the company. This made it a little bit more controversial for me because I was technically in charge of so much advertisement that's very controversial, but I knew that God had something for me. He had a plan for me in this work, and so I had to commit myself to what the Lord was asking of me. And so when I started this role, it was a dream come true. When I was doing the work, it was like I was being punched in the face. <laughs> Some people just did not want to talk to me. And I, I even got hung up on a few times. Um, but then there were some really um, amazing believers at different churches that that wanted to explore it and see if they could use our, our outlet to reach people and bring them into church services. Coming back to the paper, I, I'm surprised at, uh, at what God's been able to do. I knew that God had something for me, but he had to direct the little movements and, and, and ask me to do certain things that I could be faithful to do. God has been doing amazing things. He has um, blessed us with the opportunity to work with so many great organizations, and, and, and most recently, he's been giving us the opportunity to work with churches in telling their story. Uh, we were able to work with Sungrove on an eight-page newspaper about our church. We worked with Capital Christian Center, with Bayside Church in Midtown, with uh, Project Church in Sacramento, with churches across um, the state. It's been amazing that God has been allowing just this simple choice to serve him and follow him into an area that's really uncharted and unknown and be able to do work that's going to bring people to the Lord through these newspapers. It's, I mean, I just got chills talking about it. Uh, and so I had to choose and make that choice to really listen to his calling to leave ministry, which was crazy to me. I had to listen to his calling to um, not go to a Christian school, but to go to a public school to work at an alternative paper, which seemed just nuts. But in choosing that, God was able to um, 
bless my choice and do so much more than I could ever ask for. You know, in Rick's example, uh, we see what it looks like a little bit to be meek. That meekness isn't spineless or powerless. It means it's power under control. And it means, am I going to submit to God's work and will and his way in my life versus my own? It's that whole idea of strength under control. If you got your program, take it out. And there's an outline in there. I'm going to have us interact a little bit today and write some things on your outline today. So definitely grab that. Grab a pen out of the seat back in front of you. Because we, I want you to understand that meekness is not just being nice. It's not this idea of lacking conviction. In fact, it's courage under fire. That even when it seems not to make sense, God would say, listen, Rick, in your life, the, the most important thing there for you is that I'm going to call you out of what you think would be the varsity Christian thing, like pastors, you know, or whatever. But he's calling you to the marketplace, and through that, he's going to bring freedom to people who are lost in darkness. By reading a newspaper, when all of a sudden the Spirit of God, they have an encounter with God, as they look and read and hear and see, they have a divine appointment, even in an alternative newspaper, and God begins to call those people to himself by his Holy Spirit, and we participate with that. It takes strength, even when you experience courage under fire. The spirit of meekness is actually the spirit of Jesus. First Peter 2 says this, Jesus who suffered for you is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned, and he never deceived anyone. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hand of God who always judges fairly. See, Jesus not only said, as his sermon indicated, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, but he demonstrated it. When it came and the rubber hit the road, when he had chance to defend himself, he chose not to, because his greater call was to submit himself to the will of the Father, sacrifice his life, take the sins of the world upon himself so that all may come to saving life in him. But it's not just a New Testament idea. Uh, look with me at Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the men that were on the face of the earth. So here's God, and he's saying, who will I call to call my Hebrew people who were in slavery in Egypt and caused freedom for them. And he could have looked the world. He could have said, is there a William Wallace on the world? Is there a William Wilberforce on the world? Or is there a guy named Moses who's meek? And he called a very meek man at that point in history like he would call others at later points in history to abolish some of the slavery that had been going on. And he finds Moses. And Moses was just not the best public speaker, and he was not confident. In fact, he had run away because he had murdered somebody, and he had run away from facing his hurts and his hang-ups and his habits and started a new life, and God called him back to the life he left so that he could free people from slavery. So we've got to say, you know, you know, I want you to get this. With God, meekness wins. It wins. You might say, okay, that makes sense, but it's not like you flip a switch and go, okay, all of a sudden now I'm meek. Hey, look at me, everybody. Look how meek I am. Check out my meekness. I'm like the most meek person in the whole world, right? No, that'd be arrogant, right? It's not like you can just flip a switch. There's got to be something deeper than that to motivate you and me. It's not just the knowledge about meekness. It's how do we take information to application so we have transformation. 
And so we need to realize if you're taking notes today, the first point, and that is that meekness is a confidence in who I am. It's a confidence in who I am. I don't mean this like, you know, the wimpy uh, self-esteem guy. Maybe you watched Saturday Night Live a lot of years ago, and you remember Stuart Smalley, this guy who's sitting in front of a mirror, and he'd say, because I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, and doggone it, people like me. He tried to like, you know, build up his confidence by having this mantra he would say in front of the mirror. It's, it's not what we're talking about. That, that authentic meekness is who I am, but let me say this carefully. It's who I am in light of who God is. So I'm not going to puff myself up and think more highly of myself than I ought to because I'm not God. And in the same way, I'm not going to just be deflated all the time thinking that, well, I'm just all deflated because I understand who God calls me to be. So I'm neither puffed up nor am I deflated. It's understanding. It's not just self-help. Let me get personal with you. I'm Dave Flagg. I am a sinner who's been saved by Jesus Christ. I have evil thoughts. I say things at times that hurt people. I misuse my words. I'm fearful at times. I have a tendency to want to please people. There are things about me that I don't like about me. Some of you sitting there right now are like, wow. But probably most of you in the room are like, wow, you sound kind of like me. And we're in this together. We're in the same boat together. I've never claimed to be perfect. In fact, my idea is that, you know, is that like, Lord, help me just be one or two weeks ahead so that, you know, everybody can kind of come along. That's my goal is not to be perfect. There's one perfect one. That's Christ. I'm declared righteous in Christ because of what he did and because of who he is. But I understand, first of all, I am not God. Meekness is confidence in who I am. I am not God. But there's a deeper level. Deuteronomy 10, 17 describes who God is. We need to realize that. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. That's not me. I'm not like that. That's God. God, you can't buy him off. You can't manipulate him. He is God. He is the God that is. You can't earn your way to heaven. He's the God who is. And we got to realize that's not who I am. That's who he is. So we need to realize, number two, meekness is confident in whose I am. In whose I am. See, under the layer of hurts and habits and hang-ups that we experience, it's like, here's all our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and we know what those are. And underneath there, there's something right underneath the surface, right underneath that, that when we come to a relationship with Christ, we've got our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but right underneath that is a wonder. There's a mystery hidden just right below it. And when we flip it over and we look at it, we realize that mystery is that I am a child of God. Here's my hurts, my habits, my hang-ups. But right underneath it, I have become a new identity, a new person in Christ. I have become a new creation, and he calls me his own. I am a child of God. I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God. I'm one of his children. I'm adopted into his family because Jesus died on the cross for me, and he conquered sin and conquered death. I will rise again because Jesus rose bodily from the grave. I'm a sinner who's now saved, and I'm actually set apart to be useful for his purpose and for his kingdom. That I'm set apart now. I'm, I'm, that former wildness in me is trained and channeled. It's still powerful, but it's trained and channeled so that it won't destroy me any longer. 
So here's my hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and here's right underneath them, the wonder, the mystery. Wow, but look at who I am. I am not God. Look at my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. But look at whose I am. I am his son, his daughter of the Most High God. 1 John 5, 1 says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God. So I've got a new identity. You know, that's the fleshly side is the old identity. But that's the confidence in who I am, that I'm not God. But the wonder, the mystery is whose I am, that I am a child of God. So here's how meekness fits. If I'm not meek, I can't realize my brokenness, right? Because I'll puff myself up and try and say I'm not broken or I'll be deflated and I'll always try to be broken and stuck in my brokenness. So here's how meekness fits in. Meekness is when you and I submit all of ourselves to whose we are. We submit all of ourselves, all of my hurts, my habits, my hang-up, all my liabilities to the God who is, as he describes himself, as he describes and demonstrated his love for me. See, so I've taken this choice, and, and the choice for this commitment is on your outline, and we've broken it up into several different points, and here's what I want you to do. You're going to write some stuff after each one of those points that we've kind of broken up this phrase, and at the end of today, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment right here in church. Now, I want to tell you that up front because I don't like the whole bait and switch thing. You know what I'm talking about? I don't like that, and so I want to tell you by the end of this morning, I want to ask you to make a commitment. So if you take a pen out and your paper, I want you to write some things after each of these phrases. We have the word consciously. Consciously, I want you to write down the words, it's my decision. Some of you, you kind of assume you're a Christian because you play the heritage card. Well, I grew up in a Christian family, or I'm an American and it's kind of, you know, Christian nation. Or I, you know, uh, I have an aunt or uncle who is, you know, uh, in some sort of religious organization. Or my parents just brought me to church when I was a kid. Or you might say you've been a Christian your whole life, or just all sorts of things like this. And I got to realize, time I go, that, no, that you can't play that. You can't do it. You know, some of you are saying, well, my middle name's Christian. That doesn't work. Some of you, I got a Christian t-shirt. That doesn't work. It's a conscious decision. No one's ever been a Christian their whole life. If you say, you might have grown up in a Christian family, but it doesn't mean you're a Christian. You've never been a Christian your whole life. You can be blue-eyed your whole life. You can be blonde, I mean, blonde-haired your whole life. You can change your hair your whole life. You can have brown eyes your whole life, but you've never been a Christian your whole life because there's this conscious point of decision. You must choose. Nobody else can do that for you. It's like using the restroom. No one can go for you. You've got to do that. You can't say, hey, you know, could you please help me out? And you can't. You've got to choose. There's a conscious point at which you say, I choose Jesus. You've got to choose. You can't play the heritage card. It requires a conscious decision. So next to the next phrase, which is choose to commit, I want you to write down over and over. Write down over and over. I've got to choose to commit Every day, over and over. This is 24-7, 365 days a year. Choices we make every day. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to get, like, saved over and over. So please don't hear me saying that. What I mean is that we say we make a decision for Jesus, but we have a wandering nature, a flesh, a heart. And so as God begins to transform us, we have to choose, is it going to be my way or is it going to be God's way? And we're going to face those decisions every single day. You know, some people say, well, you know what? I made a decision for Christ back in maybe, you know, January of 97. And they'll talk about that, and they would realize, they look back at their life, they've done nothing with it since then. 
So maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you made a decision for Christ. But as you look at your life, you would not say, I made a decision to become a fully devoted Christ follower. And if I were to look back at my life, you might realize as you look at your own life and evaluate your own life, that more often than not, you're choosing your way over his way. There's nothing all about your decision that you've made. So we have to make decisions every day, all the time, make decisions over and over again. Maybe you're sitting at the computer and you're really upset, you know, with somebody and you know you're writing out this email and you're like, ooh, that is so good. You know, and you're just thinking this will hurt them and, and I'm in pain, so I'm going to put some pain back on them. And so you're writing out and your hand is hovering above the mouse to click send, you know, show them. And you look back at all your data in your email and you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. You're in the right, they're in the wrong. You're about ready to hit send. And the question is, do you send it? It's your choice. You know, maybe you know you have a friend who's hurting, going through a tough time, and maybe you've got some resources, and you know that you could help them, but it's going to take some time out of your schedule, and it's going to take some effort on your part. Well, do you help your friend? It's your choice. You know, maybe for you, you just got to decide these things over and over again. We're always facing choices. Maybe for you, someone invites you to do a community group, and you know in your head, I want to encounter God, I want to grow through community, and I ultimately want to live my calling. So I need people in my life who are speaking into my life, and I'm speaking into their life. It's not just what we receive, but also how can we encourage and love and bless others with our words and our actions. We need to be in a group where we talk about the scriptures, where we begin to unpack them more and more and go deeper. And so somebody invites you to a community group, and do you go? Again, it's your choice. You decide. Maybe you're out walking your dog, and you're walking along, and, and all of a sudden your dog decides to stop, and the leash pulls, and you look over, and your dog is leaving a gift on the neighbor's lawn. And you've got that little plastic bag. You know what I'm talking about? you got it right there in your pocket. And so you go over, and you're like, you, you bend down, and you're like, do I just pretend to pick it up? Kind of look around and see who's around, right? Maybe you don't like this neighbor. Maybe they deserve this, you know, and you're thinking... Will I choose or not? It's your choice. If every day you and I make choices, are we going to do it our way? Are we going to do it God's way? We have to choose. It doesn't stop. It's over and over. My way or God's way. You choose. Romans 6.16 says, Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose to sin, but that leads ultimately to death. Or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. We've got to make choices over and over and over. So I consciously choose to commit. Now here's the next phrase. All of my life and my will. So life is like the big picture. My will is that fierce independence that you and I have on the inside. So next to that, I want you to write down everything. Everything. See, this is the part that separates the person who would say, I made a decision for Jesus, you know, back in the day. And a person who says, I chose to become a fully devoted Christ follower. There's something about that word all. There's something about the word everything. In fact, I've studied it. In the Greek, the word all means all. It means everything. There's no hidden meaning there, no deeper phrase. It means what it says. It's all. The cost, what does it cost to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a fully devoted Christ follower? Jesus tells us in Luke 14.33, he says, So no one can become my disciple without giving up everything for me. I think there's a lot of us in this room who choke on the word all. We choke on the thought of everything, like 
everything. We experience a failure to commit. We, we freeze up a little bit when we think of that word. I mean, it just seems so permanent. All? Everything? And I think we do it because sometimes we've chosen Jesus as like one of our likes. Well, we like Jesus. We like the whole idea of I, I was bitter and now I'm becoming sweet. Maybe I got like the halo thing going on. We like going from bad to good or from worse to a little bit better. We like that. And so we kind of click like and like, oh, man, big fan, big fan of Jesus. And so we've clicked like, but then we're watching the hurts, the habits, the hangups in our life. We're trying to say I'm a child of the king, and we're going, but I, I see no difference. All? Everything? And one of the reasons I think that you and I get stuck there is because Jesus is just one of the teams that we're a fan of. We haven't let Jesus become all. We haven't let him become everything. We haven't said, Jesus, I invite you into my hurt. Most of us say that's off limits. Jesus, I invite you into my habits. Oh, Jesus, I would never want you to see my habits. Uh, Jesus, I invite you into my hang-ups, my quirks, my habits, every part of me, everything. I'm inviting you into all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of me to all of you. You're everything. And we get stuck because we just don't invite him into those places. And it's like we just basically think that he's like one of our teams that we like. And then what happens is Jesus says, I, I died for all of you. I want all of you. And, and then Jesus begins to intrude on our other likes. Ooh, starts to meddle, right? He starts to meddle with how we use our finances. He starts to meddle with the sports teams we like. He starts to meddle with our media choices. He starts to meddle with our killer comforts where we go to find comfort. And we get stuck because maybe back in the day you chose to be a fan of Jesus, but perhaps you never really chose to become a fully devoted Christ follower. And I want you to pause and just think of your own life for a minute. Is it possible in humility and meekness for that to possibly be true for you? Forget how long you've been involved in church. Forget how long you've had knowledge of Jesus. Is it possible that you never really chose and maybe still haven't really chosen to become a fully devoted Christ follower? Because if, if our brokenness is showing it and our only willingness to give God parts of our life are showing it, chances are our life is bearing witness and giving evidence that the decision we made wasn't really the decision we thought we made. Jesus has got to be greater than everything else. He's got to be more powerful than everything else. And there are roles that we play, and I'm not saying you choose your roles you know, uh, differently, but like I'm a dad. That's part of my role. I'm a dad. But what it means is that I'm a dad who's going to be a dad to my kids as a fully devoted Christ follower, which means I'm going to try to treat my kids like Jesus would treat me, and I would try to treat my kids like Jesus said fathers ought to treat their children. I'm going to endeavor to do that, not perfectly, but I'm going to endeavor to do that as a dad. I still am going to have that role, but I'm going to do it as one who's a fully devoted Christ follower. I like my friends, but it means as a fully devoted Christ follower, I'm not going to hide Jesus from my friends. I'm not going to hide that he's my all, that he's part of my life. In fact, I'm going to try to treat my friends like Jesus taught me to treat them. Not like moral discernment teaches me to treat them, that would be judgment. But to engage them 
with compassion in our culture that's mixed up and doesn't know its values. And Jesus comes along and says, engage them, love them. I might even call you to work for an alternative newspaper to reach the kind of people that nobody is reaching. Would you do it? My way or God's way? I've got possessions, I've got a car, I've got a house, I've got a mortgage, right? But I'm not trying to stockpile. I'm not trying to stockpile and keep up with everybody else. And I'm going to try to move away from the natural fleshly tendency is to love things and use people. And Jesus is going to teach me, no, 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 time out. You're supposed to love people and use things in a way that you understand their very value in nature. But you're going to value people over things. And we're going to have that tension in our lives, right? Because the world teaches us to accumulate, to love things, to gather for ourselves. And we store it up in storehouses that we can never take with us. And there are people across the world who desperately would love to trade places with you. And sometimes we don't have the heart of God to give regard even to them. So God has got to come in and change my heart. I consciously choose to commit all my life and my will to Christ's care and control. So next to Christ's care and control, I want you to write, he loves me. He loves me. God wants a more intimate and authentic relationship with you. Like a marriage, God is saying, if, if I've asked you to be my, my wife, in a sense, as the bride, as the church, if God is saying, listen, I want really deep relationship with you, he's saying, I want all of you. I don't want a piece of your heart. I don't want a corner of your heart. I don't want a little bit of your heart. I want everything. I'm in this for the long run. I want all of you. He loves you. And some of you are saying, I, I get that, but I'm just so hurting. I'm just so wounded, right? God knows. We are hurting. He knows our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups. He knows how we go to comfort ourselves. And he says, I still love you. I know and I love you. Some of you are experiencing relational loss right now. And God is saying, listen, I know. And I care. He knows. He cares. Some of you have got financial loss. And he knows. And he cares. Some of you are struggling with a secret habit or hurt or hang up right now, and you just know that you don't want to tell anybody, but it's going to destroy you, and you've got to get some help, and God knows and he cares. And some of you are fearful about the future, or you're unemployed, and you're just fearful right now, and you're being controlled by your fears, and it, fears make a decision in every compartment of your life, and, and God is saying, I know, and I care. But when you and I choose to consciously commit our life and our will to Christ's care and control, the Spirit of God comes in us and enters us and fills us with a new love and a new desire. We don't have to do life alone anymore. And some of you are saying, I made a decision for Jesus, but I live like a boarder in his house. Ships in the night. I don't talk to him. He didn't really talk to me. And Jesus is saying, I want so much more. And you say, but God, look at my hurts, my habits, my hangups. Jesus is going, I know. And I care. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. So he's saying, listen, happy are the meek. You want to be blessed in your life? Be the attitude of being meek. And there will be character transformation that happens in you, for you will inherit the earth. Your wildness is tamed and you are becoming useful to your family, to your friends, to your own life. And you begin to live your calling. 
John 10.10, Jesus says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And that's what I want. And that's what I want for you. I, I want you and I, I want us together to currently experience better than we are by being controlled by our hurts and our habits and our hangups. We want better. We want a little bit less of this. We want a little bit more of that mystery. That's what I want for me, and that's what I want for you. So my final question to you is, will you? Will you consciously choose to commit all your life and will to Christ's care and control? This is the decision part. Will you choose to commit to the God who loves you too much to leave you where you're at right now? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you at this time, maybe as you evaluate your life, you're just realizing you need to commit yourself to Christ's care, his control, submit your will, your all to him. And maybe you've never done that. You've never asked Jesus to come be the Lord of your life. You've never received him as Lord. And maybe you've been coming here a little while and you're realizing today's the day I need to say yes to Jesus. And when I'm saying yes, now I know what I'm saying yes to. And so with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if that's you today, you simply pray a prayer to him after me that sounds something like this. Jesus, I give you my hurts, my habits, my hangups. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I ask you to be my Lord. And today, God, I give you all my life and all my will, and I commit myself to your care. Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. If you just prayed that prayer, would you just raise up your hand anywhere around the room? You've made that decision for the first time today. Hold your hand up and keep it up if you if you can, we've got some people who love to give you some information. Just hold your hand high. God, they'll give you some information right over there. Awesome. Anywhere else in the room, just hold your hand up until if, if I don't see you, one of the people wandering around with some information will, so you just kind of wave at them. Greatest decision you could ever make. Jesus, we're grateful for you. We thank you, God, that you teach us to choose. It's up to us. We have choice in the life. But God, we want your way more than our own. We ask you to bless us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.